I spent some time over the past week listening to old Around the Nation podcasts um, because, you know, I just wanted to hear what they sounded like. First of all, you and I are a lot older. Secondly, thank God for Skype. You remember we used to do it? You would record your half, I'd record my half, and then I would spend two hours kind of stitching them together at three o'clock in the morning. I do remember that. I remember we did it on Ustream one year too, I think. That was awful too. Thank goodness. It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We appreciate you downloading us and giving us a listen as we talk about week seven of the 2016 Division Three football season. This is the podcast for October 17th of 2016, and it was a pretty fun week of Division Three football again as well. So we'll talk about some of the great comebacks and great finishes throughout the course of this podcast. And uh, we'll hold off on now uh, on the game that I was at and talk about it at length in our interview section. But uh, Keith, I thought we'd use the top of the show to talk about a few conferences, uh, the North Coast, uh, Empire 8, I Iowa Conference, three leagues which all had big games on Saturday, and where the top-ranked team uh, changed hands in our poll as a result. Sound like a plan? Yeah, sounds like a plan. All right, so I'm going to start out east in the Empire 8, where we have to note that Utica struck again. Uh, I don't know if it's playing to the level of their opponent, perhaps, and knocking off another ranked team, dominating defensively in a 23-6 win over St. John Fisher. Uh, and I'm not sure how much of this is Fisher's struggles after the injury to their starting quarterback and, and how much is Utica rising to the occasion, but it certainly was an occasion on Saturday. Yeah, and sort of, sort of typical for the Empire 8. We're kind of used to the results not making sense week to week because um, all or nine teams now, right, in the Empire 8, they're all fairly equal with one another. Maybe not you know one-to-one equal, but certainly coaches love to say, Hey, in, the, in our league, every, everybody's capable of beating everybody week to week. Well, the Empire 8 is one of those places where it's true. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Frank Rossi and I both mentioned this in Quick Hits, where we thought that the the defenses of the teams at the top of the league were vulnerable, or at least shaky enough to, uh, you know, to, to for us to, to make that pick. And uh, it, w- it wasn't necessarily... The, the defense that uh, that let St. John Fisher down on Saturday. It was a 23-6 game. It, it was really the offense. And, and uh, Matt Nathan, the uh, the injured quarterback that you mentioned, he played but was ineffective, and now uh, he has a bye week to heal for St. John Fisher. Yeah, they. Um, I mean, I don't know, obviously, what the backup options were, how, how well prepared they thought they uh, were to go with somebody else. But uh, when we were talking about the injury and I was looking ahead at the schedule, I was like, well, you know they got to get through a couple games. One of them is Utica, but then after that, if they get through that, they have a they could have sat him for I think it was been three consecutive weeks or maybe it was even four. Uh, instead, they uh, brought him back and it just did not work out well. So that left the door open for Alfred to move into first place in the conference, which it did by defeating Cortland forty-one twenty-eight. Uh, it's kind of been the Tyler Johnson show on uh, offense for the Saxons for years, Keith. But uh, Malik Fuentes added one hundred and fifty-five yards rushing. Um, for the Saxons, uh, Alfred has Hartwick next week, but they finish with Brockport, Utica, and uh, St. John Fisher. Those are three of those teams that you referenced, uh, teams that could beat any one of them. Yeah, and what would concern me if I was a Saxons fan is is that defense where it's played a couple of great games at Buffalo State. They won 34-10. Uh, Ithaca, we know the offense has struggled, um, but but the, the Alfred defense was great in that game. 20-6 win, but also gave up. 28 points on Saturday, gave up 24 against Morrisville State. So, you know, I, I don't know where they stand. They're, 
they may not win games by smothering the, the opposition. Uh, you know, they may have to do it by putting up 49 points, 41 points, 34 points as they have in, in games. So I, I think the Empire, and, you know, we could put just record this once and play it on a loop every year. But I think it's wide open. It may come down to the last week. And, and right now, Alfred's the team in front. But there's no telling if that's going to be the team in front at the end. Making a note here on this uh, post-it to record that on a loop and play it back every year. Okay, got it. Um, let's see. Let's look at the Iowa Conference for a second, where uh, Co has really kind of run the gauntlet the past three weeks. Uh, they started with the previous conference champion in Warburg, uh, and then the conference's, uh, let's say, the surprise team of September in Central, and then uh, on Saturday, the defending champion in Dubuque, and Co beat them all. Now they have Luther, Buena Vista, Abai, and Simpson to close the season. It's a very nice 7-0 and start for Co after beating Dubuque 23-12. Yeah, and and that's where you want to be. You want to be in a situation where you play the the good teams um, early, and and then when you're kind of out in front, um, you know you don't have those huge games looming. I think a lot of the teams that we're going to talk about here that are um, that are still unbeaten or in control of their conference uh, race, they still have at least one huge game coming up. Um, and, and Co right now is is in good shape. I got a chance to watch a bunch of this game. Um, and, and again, it's so hard the way we do it on Saturdays now because every game uh, has so much video. You know, you can jump from game to game, and so you don't necessarily get a great feel for any one particular game. But in this one, Coe and Dubuque really were toe-to-toe until the very end. And um, Coe went ahead and Dubuque turned it over, and, and then and then Coe punched it in. I think it was maybe 16 yards out the last the last score. So it was basically – a. Um, you know, a neck and neck game. And, and that's now three straight, as you mentioned, Pat, uh, real tight games and, and Coe's pulled them all out. And, you know, when we, when a team does that consistently, you know, we look at it one of two ways. One is, um, that's a team that's vulnerable, that, that, um, it's kind of just getting by yeah. and not getting by, but, you know, but, but at some point those close games aren't going to go their way. And the other thing is, is, you know, maybe that's a sign of resilience, a sign of a team that, that pulls out games in the clutch. So, um, you know, this one, they didn't win it with, you know, any huge dramatic pass play or huge turnover or whatever, even though they had, they had the turnover late. It was, um, you know, they just ran the ball down Dubuque's throat in the second half. Uh, First thing I, I want to say is I'm, when we talk about game balls, I want to uh, ask you something about uh, your impressions of that game. Second thing, that thing you just said about uh, the two ways you can take uh, a team that uh, wins a lot of close games, that's one of the things I heard in a previous podcast uh, this week. Everybody been about, it was about St. John Fisher, and it might have been like 2011 or 2012, something like that. Um, yeah, that's, uh, it's still true, though. But that's, uh, there's nothing, uh, nothing wrong with that. So, um, Co. they finally get their due by entering the top 25, ranked number 18. Adam Turr, our Around the Nation columnist, talked with Cohawks coach Tyler Staker and asked uh, whether he thought the team was motivated by the fact that Central and then Dubuque were ranked before Co. beat them. I think the big chip on our shoulder this year was the, the way we performed the last two seasons. And you know, we're coming off a 4-6 and six record, which, you know, at the end of last year, nobody was, was happy with that. And we were just really disappointed overall. And that is, that's been a big challenge to those guys. You know, since day one when I took over, uh, I stepped in for my dad. You know, I just challenged them and said, hey, guys, you know, four and six, that's the reality. You know, we've got to wear that four and six record. You know, every single day we go to workouts in the off season. You know, when we go out to practice during spring and then obviously throughout the course or throughout fall camp, 
the start of the season, you know, they knew hey, they had something to prove and uh, they had to go out and earn it each week. You know, so I think that's been our big chip on our shoulder is, is, is that four and six season last year and just kind of that bad base in our mouth. Let's talk about one more conference here in this opening section of the podcast, and that's the North Coast Athletic Conference. Uh, long story short, we had Wittenberg topping Wabash earlier this season. We have uh, Denison beating Wittenberg on Saturday, first time since 1989 for that one. Uh, and Denison, the big red, by the way, they're unbeaten at 6-0. and uh, then we have DePaul, which has one loss. Uh, it was at Wittenberg a week ago. Four teams within a game of first place. And yeah, that's Denison that's in first place in the NCAC. Yeah, but this is the one of the situations where um, one of the teams, in this case Wittenberg, has played the – there are four teams in the mix. Wittenberg's played the other three already. They've, they've, uh, they've beaten Wabash. Uh, they, played, they beat DePaul. And um, they, they lost by three with the late kick on Saturday to Denison. So now they're, they're not in front anymore, but Denison still has DePaul and Wabash to play. DePaul obviously always plays uh, the Mona Bell game at the end of the season and also has Denison. So there's still a lot of movement potentially to happen in the North coast. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the questions that you and I kind of batted around before we started the uh, recording tonight is, what does this say about the state of the North coast this season? Is it, uh, are they, just balanced at the top? Did three other teams really rise to the top to meet? Well, it was Wabash, Wabash being the defending champ, or is everybody kind of sagged down and a little bit more beatable there at the top instead? Yeah, it's probably a little bit of both because Wabash was a final eight team uh, last year, and, and even though they got uh, blown out by by St. Thomas at the end, other than that, they were, uh, you know, they were at least legitimate top 15, top 10 caliber team and uh and you know what i think is nice i guess the best way to put it i couldn't think of a better way to, to it's just that um the ncac is is more than just wittenberg and wabash this year you have DePaul. uh you know remember that was a a great program i guess what the late oos 08 09 like DePaul was really right when they left the scac and then uh, and then, you know, they, they kind of fell on hard times for several years. So they're back. They're five and one. Denison is having this run of success that we've really never seen them have. And then you have a couple of teams in the middle, Worcester, Ohio Wesleyan. Um, and even, even you know, Allegheny's not good, but they're, at least they're not quite the pushover that they were. I think there was a time in, in, in this conference where Kenyon, Hiram, Oberlin were just so far away from, from Wabash and Wittenberg that it wasn't even um, – you know, I, I guess some weeks it wasn't even fun or wasn't even, for, from our standpoint, it wasn't even worth paying attention to those games. And now at least you have a little bit deeper conference uh, as we watch from afar. Denison, 6-0 uh, and for the first time since 1985. They started off the season 10-0 and that season and lost to Mount Union in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, and I'd like to take this time to mention that the Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by yeah, that blank space. Nobody. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers in Division Three football, coaches who need new equipment, who could uh, influence decisions to replace turf, uh, you know, build video boards, all sorts of things by sponsoring the Around the Nation podcast. Keith and I would be waxing poetic about your product right here before going to break. So think about it and uh, drop me an email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. Uh, there have been more than 10,600 unique listens to our podcasts, not counting the 12 that I may have listened to this past week uh, since we started tracking this thing more easily uh, in July. And uh, hey, this is a place to be. And uh, if you're not sponsoring, and I know that you're not at the moment, 
investigador. Moving on into the rundown portion of the podcast, and we're going to start with game balls. And for mine, I'm going with Trevor Heitland, the co-running back who literally carried the load for the Cohawks on Saturday, getting the call on a full 61% of Co's snaps in the Cohawks' 23-12 win versus Dubuque, uh, not even counting the one reception. That's uh, 51 carries out of Co's 84 offensive plays. 31 of those carries came in the second half, where Co outscored Dubuque 16-0 and dominated the time of possession holding the ball for 22.58 of the final 30 minutes, if my math is correct. Dubuque had the ball for just 2.02 in the final quarter as Coe simply owned the clock. Just an amazing performance. Uh, 216 rushing yards, by the way. And Keith, you talked about Coe just running the, the ball down Dubuque's throat. Did it, did it seem like Dubuque just didn't have the ball? Well, yeah. I mean, you, you put the time of possession. Um, yeah, I meant more that, from an observational standpoint. Could you tell that uh, Dubuque just wasn't, uh, wasn't getting off the field? Yeah, and it, and it did. I mean, it, it was kind of plain to see that that by the end of the final drive, um, well, I guess it was not the final drive. It was the second second and last drive. They they were starting to wear down, and Cole wasn't doing anything special. They they weren't you know trick runs or or you know bunch of whatever jet sweeps or reverse. It was just you know straight ahead stuff, um, and and you know basically saying you know either, either stop us or you don't, and eventually. Uh, Co did burrow into the end zone there, and then got got the fumble pretty quickly uh, on it. it. Was a pass play, and uh, and the quarterback a hit dropped the ball, and they ended up uh, you know being able to add a field goal and put a little distance between them. Uh, for my game ball, I'm going to go with Blake Jackson, the quarterback for Mary Harden Baylor. There were gaudier numbers put up by quarterbacks on Saturday, so maybe this is more of a seven-week achievement award. But I got to watch portions of the crew's 59-22 victory over East Texas Baptist when it was close, which was most of the first half, and this stood out. Mary Harden Baylor has always been a power-running team that backed it up with great defense. Even when they changed their offense the way everyone in college has over the past five or ten years, Mary Harden Baylor was still a team that bowled its opponents over, wore them down over the course of a game. On Saturday, when East Texas Baptist started to make gaining ground yards difficult for the crew, Blake Jackson took to the air. His 74-yard touchdown pass to Bryce Wilkerson was sandwiched around four first-half turnovers. But when the offense got going, and this was mostly after halftime, uh, Mary Harden Baylor scored on five consecutive possessions. And the important thing is that with Wilkerson and Wykey Walker and, and Jackson, the crew now has a vertical passing game to go with their traditional run-heavy elements. And I think that makes them dangerous as we get not just to the end of the season. They obviously have a big game next week, but as they go beyond that. Uh, it's a while yet before we have to think about how they match up with Mountain Union or Whitewater or St. Thomas or Linfield. But for now, I did return my number one vote to the crew. Somebody asked me that on Twitter. And uh, and I, although I think what Whitewater is doing is is number one vote worthy, too. And hey, don't mind Mountain Union over there just pitching a shutout on Saturday. So, you know, I don't think there's a wrong answer for your number one vote at this point. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the top 25 poll and uh, looking at teams on the rise in the poll. I think you have to start with Wisconsin lacrosse, yet another example of a team in our poll losing and moving up in terms of number of votes. In this case, going from zero to, to uh, 24 votes. Uh, now the voters uh, essentially have uh, determined that lacrosse is the fourth best team in the WIAC. I heard WIAC so many times this past weekend. I'm sticking with WIAC. And, and that's about what they've shown so far, at least. Uh, they've shown at least the be fourth best team in the conference. Uh, before Saturday's game, 
Uh, lacrosse literally had one of the bottom 25 strength of schedule ratings in Division Three, just because they hadn't played any of the good teams on their schedule. Uh, now we're going to get a chance to see what they do from here. They uh, have Eau Claire this week, but then they, uh, of course, have yet to play Oshkosh, Platteville, and Stevens Point, all very dangerous opponents in that conference. So we have an interview later in the podcast with a native Wisconsinite. Is it Wisconsin? What's someone from Wisconsin called? Yeah, I think that's fine. Uh, okay, that, that's the polite term. I'm from Minnesota. I think we could call them something else entirely. Yeah, yeah. Let's not let's not get into that. Okay. Um, and on the WIAC, WIAC, back yeah. and forth. Listen to what Mike Schmidt says when he talks about the conference. Um, back to the poll. Uh, my riser was uh, well. I had two actually, and uh, John Carroll went from twenty to fourteen on my ballot, and Co went from unranked to fifteen. Uh, the Blue Streaks, which don't play Mount Union till week eleven, and have only the loss to number five Wisconsin Oshkosh, moved up mostly because so many teams in that midsection of the poll lost. It was East Texas Baptist, St. John Fisher, Wittenberg, and Wheaton, but they also beat Ohio Northern twenty to sixteen and have now won five straight. Co. meantime, was the team that I wanted to see do it against a good team before I made them top 25. Uh, the same went for Wisconsin Lacrosse and Randolph-Macon and Case Western Reserve. Uh, but Co. got it done on Saturday, and there was no reason just to plop them at 25 just because I hadn't been voting for them before. Uh, because when you consider the seven wins so far, it, it includes a win over the WIAC team. Uh, I, I'm going to stick with WIAC, by the All way. All right. Sounds good. It includes with a win over a WIAC team, uh, a win over a CCIW team, and a road win in conference. Uh, 15 is probably a little higher than they should be, but the middle of the poll is volatile right now. One thing I did notice as I was taking a look at the poll when it came out on Sunday, kind of in between breaks on on the old NFL Sunday, um, you have to get to number 20 in the poll, and that's Wabash, to find a team with the exception of, I, I think, transposed by one space franklin and thomas moore you have to get to 20 to find a team that is neither unbeaten nor a one-loss team with the only defeat to a higher ranked team in the poll so there's there's really a good solid group of teams in the poll in other words um linfield is is they're not unbeaten but the only team that's beaten them is ranked higher mary harden baylor same for oshkosh same for platteville same for wheaton uh every team that has a loss in the poll uh pretty much is uh, it has lost to either a team higher than them, and and Franklin has a a non conference a non division three loss, which we kind of throw out. So uh, right now it's pretty tough to to get into the top twenty five. So if you're tweeting at us asking why your team isn't ranked and they're five and one, it's it, it's just a big group of of teams right now that are that have pretty impressive resumes. Yeah, I think if you're someone who uh, has a has a, a gaudy record but hasn't played the best teams on their schedule. Our voters know what the entire regular season schedule is every week. I think that's one of the things that makes our poll better than the coaches' poll is that we provide that information to them every week because we can just pull it out of the database, and the, and the uh, AFCA doesn't have that information on Division Three, So it's not, uh, it's not provided to those coaches. And the you know we do not expect coaches, uh, even the coaches who vote on our panel, to be sitting and watching and knowing the intimate in and out details of somebody who's 2000 miles across the country. So yeah, they are kind of busy on game day. I think stuff happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess even in division one, you might have the opportunity to sit down and watch the end of a pac 12 game, right? Maybe. Yeah. They, yeah. You can catch those on TV, but in our case, you, you really kind of have to dig to, to find the games, although they're, they're all listed on the, uh, the score, the scores and schedules page on Saturdays. 
Um, let's look at the other direction, a uh, team that'll take a fall. And we had a couple of teams with really long tumbles all the way out of the pole. And those are ones where there are probably uh, the lingering doubts about the team for other reasons. Uh, specifically, just kind of re uh, reiterating St. John Fisher, they fell from 13th to uh, the first team, among others, receiving votes. Some might say they're ranked 26, but they're not. It's a top 25. Only 25 teams are ranked. All right. Uh, so I had concerns about the injury to uh, Matt Nate and the quarterback, uh, and I, I talked about them earlier. But uh, um, I think that, that uh, that's the reason why St. John Fisher probably fell a little bit further than, the, than a team normally would have. But also, I just don't know what to make of Utica either. Uh, Utica has beaten three teams that were ranked. Obviously, Cortland's not rankable anymore. Ohio Northern's not rankable at the moment. Uh, St. John Fisher's definitely rankable. And then Utica lost to Brockport and Ithaca, two teams that are definitely not ranked. Yeah. And that, that must really bother you, that that 26. We all have our quirks, right? That 26 thing, is that's like one of your yeah. buttons. Yeah. That yeah. It pushes. I used to hate when people would call a one-person ranking top 25. Oh. When they, they would say yeah. that's a poll. Yeah, you know, hey, we're in the top 25 poll. Well, if only one, nobody voted this, not a poll. Oh, even worse when it's a computer. What are, what are we polling? The the electrons, the various parts of the hard drive? What are we doing here? Oh, yeah. So copy editor life right here, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a team that, that took a fall. Actually, I mean, there were at least three uh, for just about any voter on, uh, on Saturday or Sunday whenever they decided to do their ballot. Uh, St. John Fisher. Wittenberg and Dubuque all tumbled out of my top 25. But I think it's instructive to look at a conference like the NJAC, which uh, through seven seven weeks has four five and one teams plus four and two Wesley, and start to realize that at this point in the season, now seven weeks in, heading into week eight, teams with blemishes can still crawl back into the rankings, especially as they notch impressive wins. Wittenberg looks like a team that tumbled, and right now they're behind Wabash and Denison in, in our top 25, but they might not stay down for long because the Tigers, as we mentioned, have already played the three strong NCAC teams and should be able to coast to 9-1 with just a three-point loss to Denison uh, as their resume at the end of the season. This is the uh, last Sunday where um, in uh, deep in my training for my half marathon at the end of the month. So, yes, the poll was a little bit late coming out on Sunday. Uh, I was busy running 12 miles over in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, and uh, I apologize for not having uh, the ability to get the poll out before that. This might get edited out anywhere, right? You're the editor. You tell me. Much like the politics comments from last week. Uh, I think that was a smarter decision. You can talk about running if you want, but I think you did, I think you did the right thing last week for sure. So as I mentioned earlier, I was down in La Crosse, Wisconsin on Saturday to see uh, University of Wisconsin-Whitewater uh, defeat La Crosse by the score of 32-22. Um, we've talked uh, with uh, Whitewater a couple times in the interview section over the course of the past couple weeks. Um, uh, but I, I think one of the big stories here, and I want to stay, you know, I want to rotate this around the country too. It's not just that I happen to be in the Midwest, uh, but it works out again this week. I think because, um, you know, just because of the way things have turned around, at least in part, uh, fairly quickly here for uh, lacrosse. So I had an opportunity to talk with Mike Schmidt, the first year head coach of lacrosse uh, shortly after the game. First thing I have to ask at this point, did you expect the turnaround would be so quick? I mean, you, you start off the season 5-0, and uh, come in and go pretty much toe-to-toe -to -toe with one of the top teams in the country. Well, I don't know that you ever think that you're going to be able to do that in one year. Uh, that's a heck of a football team that Whitewater has, but 
you know, when we got Tarek, uh, when he committed to us and when we got him coming, that changes the ball game. When you get a player like that, or you get a quarterback like that. And we had some other transfers come through that we really thought we'd have a shot to, to be competitive and do that. But um, right now, I think it just stings a little too much to really take a, a bird's eye view. But I'm just so proud of where we're at. We certainly have the buzz that's out there and thought we'd be in this situation and, and really coming into this game, thought we could compete with them. There's a lot of really good days ahead coming for this team. Yeah, I guess let's start with Buzz, first of all. Biggest crowd in the history of this stadium. Uh, I know you played in the previous stadium and that sort of thing, but uh, you know, it's been a long time since there's been that kind of excitement around lacrosse football. There certainly has, and, and that's been our number one objective to bring that back, You know, get people talking about us again, whether it's in the community, throughout the state, recruiting. We had a huge recruiting day. You, you can see how success really helps that. We have to get better players. We have to increase our depth if we want to compete in this league. But, you know, us being good is good for the WIC. Us being uh, uh, back, not maybe we're not back on the national map, but us being back as a, as a competitor in this league is good for the WIC, and it's good for, for where we, this league can go in the future. Obviously, you guys lost the turnover battle in a pretty big yeah. way today. Um, and Yegi threw, threw two of those interceptions early, but seemed to kind of settle down a little bit, and his uh, his legs were pretty key today, too. Yeah, I think he rushed for uh, like 70, 60 yards, something like that. He, he's a fantastic athlete. You know, he's just a really a great competitor, and we knew we'd have to use him. We, we really thought coming into the game we were going to put it on his back. Let's let him go and see if we can win us a game. Because to say that you can just line up and play against Whitewater, that's, that's unrealistic. So we tried a whole bunch of different things, and the turnover it's going to be tough to get turnovers when you're playing off man on our side of the ball so far because we're just scared of getting that big play going obviously they did in the run game um, but you know Tarek's just got to take care of the ball a little bit better and, and some of those things that we got to clean up and I, and I think we'll have a shot to win some of these games coming down the road because we got some more big ones coming up yeah you do so uh, you started off with uh, three non-conference games which were you know yeah. lacrosse has been killing itself with its own non-conference scheduling before you got here right. uh, took it a little bit easier on itself this year and you started of course with River Falls and Stouts you really kind of eased into the schedule a little bit and now you have you know this game and then three of the next four against some pretty pretty top-notch competition in this conference we knew we'd be back loaded uh, and that's why we've been really pushing our guys with a lot of adversity on our own to get ready for these games because you know you don't really get tested in those things so we got to test ourselves I mean think about what Whitewater's been through in the front end of their schedule here getting through these these games and and how that's gonna pay off for them down the future so we've had to try to create that on our own in practice to get ready because we know what the gauntlet is here coming up, and, and we know we got to go play. But I think that today just shows us that we can come and play with these guys. We can come and play against uh, Stevens Point and Eau Claire and, and Platteville and Oshkosh that we have coming up. We know they're great teams, but we know that we're, we're, just, we, we, we're knocking on that door to get to that next step. When you were here as a player, this was the big rivalry, right? And yes. then Whitewater came and kind of stole the momentum yeah. and stole the thunder away from you guys. What would it mean to kind of bring this rivalry back? Oh, huge. Everything. Because eventually you're going to have to beat these guys. And a rivalry only exists when it goes back and forth. A rivalry doesn't exist if you don't beat them. Uh, and so you're going to have to knock them off at some point. Until we knock them off, I don't know that it's really going to be a rivalry. We're going to be close and competitive, which the WIC is in every week. But... To get to that point, we're going to eventually have to knock them off. you got to go win that game at some point, and that's when the recruiting can start to shift because that's what happened to us when I was a player here. You know, they come in in 05 and 06 and, and really get after us. We get a shot to get it back in 07, and we lose that game in the fourth quarter, and, uh, and the rest is history, obviously, for their program and ours right now. And what happened to them, they were knocking on the door for a long time too, and it was a rivalry, but they didn't win them all. Now here we are, and we're, we're going to have to beat them. We can't just play close with them if we want to bring this back to being a rivalry.
So yes, perhaps the rivalry is back, uh, but uh, lacrosse is going into uh, this week's game against Eau Claire with uh, the the status of Tariq Yegi, the quarterback, maybe a little bit up in the air. Uh, they were going to look at his uh, shoulder, which was uh, may have been injured at the end of the game. I didn't have any further information on that, but uh, that is one thing to certainly keep an eye on with the Eagles going forward. Pat, you hit it in the interview, but it's fair to wonder whether lacrosse had talent that was being underutilized over the past several years. You know, to go from three straight three and seven seasons and five out of the past six. Uh, they also had a four and six season in there to immediately 10 points away from an elite team is quite a turnover. And I imagine a credit to the to the new coaching staff. But uh, Schmidt himself pointed out the value in getting a good quarterback. And, and over the years, Pat, you and I have seen this time again, time and again in, in D3, where um, you can have a pretty solid program and having that really good quarterback for starting for a couple of years can put it over the top, whether it's like a Dan Whalen at Case Western Reserve or, or Ayrton Scott at, at Augsburg and, and, you know, Mitch Hendricks at, um, at Gustavus, you know, the, the really having that, that star quarterback or that solid, um, that position locked up for a couple years, I think, in D3, maybe more than anywhere else. I mean, obviously, quarterbacks are important everywhere, but it really can have a, help a program uh, make a leap. Yeah, Yegi's a transfer from Buffalo, the Division One school. That's the one where Lance Leipold went to. Um, that certainly helps. Also, though, I, uh, that's the thing I the thing I mentioned in the interview is they were just killing themselves with their non-conference schedule. Uh, they're, they're just, you know, uh, offering themselves up to get their butts kicked by Mary Harden Baylor and, and St. Thomas. And, uh, you know, in the past Harden Simmons, North central, when you also have to play whitewater and Oshkosh and whoever else is really, really good in the WIAC from uh, year in and year out. Um, they, that's probably a, a, a team that in those three and seven seasons, if they'd scheduled a little bit more to their capabilities as an opportunity to go four and six, five and five, maybe also keep some kids healthy, but also just, you know, not get your butts kicked in every week. Well, this, this year they, uh, they opened up at Luther. They played at home against Ripon and then went to Carroll for their first three games. They also had a bye week in September. So their first, uh, you know, three games, they scored what I'm doing math on the fly here, 140 some odd points and uh, and gave up five touchdowns total. So uh, they definitely scheduled maybe even lower than their capabilities now that uh, we realize they are a pretty capable uh, WIAC team or WIAC team or WIAC team, whatever you want to call it. It's fine. And and one other point on uh, on Yegi transferring from Buffalo. I looked this up right before we, we uh, started recording. At last glance, I believe he was fifth string for Leipold at Buffalo. Um, so there is a, still a huge gap between playing in the middle American conference uh, and coming home. He, he's a uh, Wisconsin native from Watertown, Wisconsin, coming home to uh, to find a home in the in the WIAC, WIAC, W-I-A-C. Wisconsin conference. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> we just skip the I and the A altogether. That should be the front page poll next week. How do you, how should you pronounce the Y? You know, the funny thing is, I remember hearing um, someone say O D A C. Oh, I think it was on a, a Stag Bowl broadcast, and I was like, "See, that's how you know someone doesn't really follow D three because no one calls it the O D A C. It's the ODAC." But now we're now it's happening to us. Yeah. Well, 
they, there's still a difference of opinion even within the state of Wisconsin. And uh, yeah, that probably will be the front page poll by the time uh, people listen to this podcast. So uh, best of luck. That's going to be super inside football. We're going to make yeah, that, so we're going to make that a term we, now. And we've now gotten off a beaten path, <laughs> so we should beat a path to our off the beaten path highlights. That sounds good. Uh, so for uh, my off the beaten path highlight this week, I'm going to mention something that at least got a passing mention on our front page on Saturday. But because it involves uh, two teams we rarely have opportunity to talk about, I'm going to bring it up here as well. Uh, and what I'm talking about is how Hamilton beat Bowdoin. Um, that's uh, Hamilton. Uh, if you don't know what it is, um, uh, okay. Well, it's the NESCAC. Uh, Hamilton's in New York. Bowdoin's in Maine. Uh, the lead changed hands in this uh, game four times in the final seven minutes, and the final time with 34 seconds left is Kenny Gray scored on a five-yard touchdown run, uh, and it even wasn't particularly over at that point, uh, as uh, Bowden maybe helped by a, a unsportsmanlike conduct uh, that uh, pushed the kickoff back 15 yards, uh, did manage to get in position for a Hail Mary, which was knocked down at the five as time expired. Supremely entertaining finish in this game, though, from uh, two teams trying to get out of the bottom half of the NESCAC. I'm just happy you didn't make a Hamilton the musical reference. I I have though already in this podcast season, haven't I? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't well, gonna throw my, throw away my shot on that one. All right, uh, my off the beaten path highlight. It was honestly hard to narrow it down. Um, Whitworth trailed 41-24 with 11 minutes 45 seconds left and scored the go ahead touchdown on Pacific Lutheran with 41 seconds left to win 45-41. Susquehanna trailed 34-21 with 11:40 left, scored the go ahead on Moravian with 49 seconds left, winning 35-34. Curry trailed by 15 and rallied to give itself a chance to tie Coast Guard with a two-point conversion attempt in a 56-54 loss. Any of those could have been the the off-the-beaten-path highlight. But I have to go with an even crazier game and rally. Both Laverne and Occidental led and trailed by 10 points in the first two-and-a-half quarters of their game on Saturday. Uh, Down 42-32, Occidental scored four times in a row, three touchdowns and a field goal to take a 56-42 lead. Laverne rallies and scores twice, the last with a minute four left. And you'll see this highlight if you uh, check out the play of the week reel. In front of the home crowd, with both teams winless, we might add, uh, the Leopards line up against the Tigers to go for two and the win. Zach Tomlinson connects with Alex Ariano again for the 57-56 lead. And it wasn't like a clean, perfect pass. It was like uh, it was thrown into the area of of two receivers, Two Laverne receivers and uh, and Ariano came down with it. Uh, but even after that, they they score, they go up one with a minute four left. The drama wasn't done. Uh, Occidental, which had had a touchdown taken off the board on the previous drive because of an offensive pass interference call, they crossed midfield with quarterback Brian Scott getting out of bounds with five seconds left. Tigers line up for the 45-yard game-winning field goal attempt. Laverne blocks it to complete the rally and in front of its home crowd, win its first game. So let's recap that really quickly. Uh, Whitworth rallied from 17 down the final 12 minutes. Susquehanna rallied from 13 down the final 12 minutes. Curry rallied from 15 down and almost won a game in which 110 points were scored. And Occidental Laverne topped all of that. And that uh, two-point conversion uh, pass 
topped our fan voting for the uh, play of the week. So fans vote. Uh, those of us on staff vote. There's probably about five or six people who uh, vote from our group on any given week, and all of those ballots get thrown together. Actually, at this moment, I don't even know who uh, who won because I haven't had a chance to uh, compile. And I don't think we've gotten a lot of ballots in because it was kind of a late night around here. Um, I'm going to stay out on the West Coast and talk about the most surprising result. For me this week, that has to be Cal Lutheran just dominating Claremont Mud Scripts to the tune of a 34-0 final score on Saturday. Uh, and for those who don't know, it's surprising because you know CMS was unbeaten coming into the game, and Cal Lutheran had won just once. Plus, you know, 34-0. Uh, anytime I have to open the box score and kind of do name checks and make sure that the home and away teams weren't accidentally put in backwards, that was that's what qualifies as a surprising result for me. Yeah, I mean, should I should I even add one to that? Claremont Mudscripts was getting top twenty-five vote, votes and uh, and got blanked, held one hundred and fifty-three yards by a one-win team, which is now a, a two-win team. Um, outside of that, though, I guess I'd say Washington and Jefferson trailing Bethany by nine in the second half and having to rally to win 37-36. Didn't have the same dramatics as all those games I ran off above, but uh, for a fringe top 25 and playoff hopeful team like the Presidents, to have to rally past the one-win Bison was illuminating. Yeah, to say the least. Uh, I'm going to do one more West Coast thing, although it's a West Coast thing we sort of already talked about, but I'm going to go stat of the week, uh, looking at Laverne running back Dallas Parent, who ran for 298 yards on 28 carries for the Leopards in that uh, pretty epic game that uh, Keith ran down earlier. Uh, but Parent definitely set the tone for the game. He went 75 yards on the very first play from scrimmage to score a touchdown and get Laverne out to a 7-0 lead 12 seconds into the game. Uh, that's one pretty awesome carry, but of course he averaged 8.3 yards on the rest of his carries as well. Uh, he finished with four touchdowns on the night. So your game ball goes to a guy who got 51 carries, and your stat of the week goes to someone who almost ran for 300 yards. So you're a run-heavy pet this week. I am. So I got a quick stat of the week and then a, a not quick stat of the week. The quick one is that Salisbury scored on a kickoff return, interception return, fumble recovery return, and a pass, which is unique for Salisbury, and a bunch of runs to uh, to get to 77 points against William Patterson. Uh, the, the final was uh, 77-19 in that one. Salisbury scored, I believe, every which way you can, uh, except for a punt return touchdown, and I combed through the box score, and I don't they received a lot of punts, and they didn't return them for very many yards. They were all like zero or none or fair catches. So uh, they weren't trying very hard to score all six ways. The long stat of the week is uh, is from that Coast Guard-Curry game that we talked about. Coast Guard's Derek Victory, the quarterback, passed for 525 yards and six touchdowns on Saturday. He set school records, but he didn't even have the gaudiest passing stats in the game because Curry's Alex Corvice uh, passed for 519 yards and seven touchdowns. And uh, with just one interception, he had two fewer than victory, although victory rushed for a touchdown. And got the victory. Uh, you know how much it costs to see a game at Coast Guard? $10. Five if you want to sit on the visiting side or if you're a child. So for a cool Alexander Hamilton, you could have seen 1,044 yards passing and 13 touchdowns, not to mention each team had a receiver uh, go over 200 yards, another receiver go over 100 yards, and at least one more receiver go over 80 yards. I'd mention everyone's name, but the podcast already runs long as it is. Keith, how do you expect me to bypass a cool Alexander Hamilton reference? I, I noticed that, and I tried not to break up laughing <laughs> in the middle of it. I also was... Um, I had a mute button help me out over here. I also realized that, that I didn't pronunciation check... Uh, 
the Curry quarterback, so I hope it's Corvis and not Corvese. Yeah, I don't know. Great question. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's fine. Let's look back at our quick hits from Friday, uh, and I'll start with some of the worst predictions. Uh, I have to start with uh, Ryan Tips and Adam Turr, each picking Wittenberg to defeat Dennison. Uh, Ryan, in emphatic fashion, picking Wittenberg to defeat Dennison. Uh, Ryan was also the only one who didn't pick a team, uh, correctly pick a team to bounce back and win this week. Although, in fairness, who would have predicted Trinity, Texas losing to Southwestern 48 to nothing? And uh, five of the six of us incorrectly picked which Skyak team would win its first game, and that was everybody except... Yeah, that was that was me. I took Laverne to be Occidental, and to be honest, I need a last second, um, you know, conversion or a last minute conversion to make it happen. But there were some other good predictions as well. Uh, everyone got a top twenty-five upset correct this week, even Pat. Although uh, I hedged my bets and and only got the question half right because I picked St. John Fisher and Alfred. Fisher lost, uh, and Alfred won. Uh, Frank Rossi and our guest, Mary Harden-Baylor fan Chad Hammonds, each went out on a limb with a somewhat tougher pick on conference unbeatens and took North Central to beat Wheaton. Chad also got the random uh, Centennial Conference upset correct, Susquehanna over Moravian, as did Ryan Tips. You know, maybe we should throw it out to the fans to ask what questions we should ask, because I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I am beginning to understand why this was so difficult for you to uh, assemble all these questions every week for however many years you did this. Yeah, uh, it's actually not a bad idea to throw it out to the fans, to be honest with you, just for some uh, fresh ideas, fresh thoughts. Um, yeah, why don't we do that? All right, we'll do that. All right, we're getting close to the uh, end of our podcast, and uh, I have to ask, Kenny, when does our two-minute drill begin? Your two-minute drill begins now. Right, that. Uh, so let's see. As the quarterback turns at Mount Union uh, with D'Angelo Fulford out long-term with a shoulder injury, Luke Portman finally wins the quarterback battle and was the Purple Raiders' number one quarterback on Saturday. Right? Wrong. Dom Davis got the call. and He threw for 244 yards and four touchdowns and a 45 nothing win at Capitol. Springfield, 70. Rochester, 47. McMurray, 59. Greenville, 46. Coast Guard, 56. Curry, 54. Laverne, 57. Occidental, 56. Hartwick, 43, Morrisville State, 41, Whitworth, 45, Pacific Lutheran, 41. Nope, we didn't accidentally splice a D3 Hoops podcast, Hoopsville update into the middle of Around the Nation. Those were all football scores from Saturday. Dave McHugh is coming for your job. I quickly want to mention here something about 2017. Sounding from all reports that the Tommy Johnny game next year will be played at the Minnesota Twins home ballpark, Target Field. I'm going to be at a news conference later this morning where details will be announced. Tommy's and Johnny's are scheduled for September 24th next week, and the Twins are conveniently in the middle of an 11-day road trip at that time. I'd say there's a decent chance we see more than 17,535 in the stands and that we get a legitimate ticket count out of this game to boot. The two-point conversion giveth, see Laverne, and it taketh away. Gallaudet went for two to win it and did not get it uh, and lost at home. They also went for two after the first score, so maybe they just don't have a place kicker. That happens. Uh, a lot of the teams at the bottom end of Division Three, you kind of take what you have to get. Uh, let's see. Southern Virginia only passed for 25 yards in its home loss to Rowan. Not surprising. They're a triple option team, but Rowan only completed four of 12 passes and threw for 39 yards themselves. I guess you take a win any way you can get it, right? 17-7 the final. Sure. I mean, there are only 17 teams in D3 that remain unbeaten, but uh, 25 of them are still winless. Among them, Morrisville State which has given up 40 points or more in four straight 
Uh, they were a nine-win team in 2014. Uh, Ursinus again had a touchdown lead in the second half and again couldn't make it stand up as Juniata won 38-27. And Carroll, which is not transitioning to the CCIW well, proving what we already knew about conference strength. They came from the MWC. Uh, Keith, you did such a great job running down next week's games last week. and I'm sure that's not a temporal paradox. I think I meant what I said there. Uh, why don't you take a crack at the next week's games this week? Sure. Well, the big one right at the top is uh, Harden-Simmons at Mary Harden-Baylor. Big clash in Texas. Uh, that's a clash of top 10 teams, I believe. Harden-Simmons, number 10. Mary Harden-Baylor, number 3? Three. three. Uh, you know, I just remember where I had them. Um, <laughs> Also uh, in the top 10, uh, Wisconsin-Platteville at Oshkosh. Both of those teams losing close games earlier this season to Wisconsin-Whitewater. So um, that's a Pool C play-in game, maybe potentially. Maybe an and, elimination uh, game, yeah. Yeah, the, and the, t- the team that loses isn't necessarily out, but you got to – eventually you have to beat somebody good, and Platteville and Oshkosh just don't – they need to beat each other to have that result. Uh, Linfield at Whitworth. Delaware Valley at Stevenson, um, the Mustangs beat Widener on Saturday, so they kind of have a two-week gauntlet to run through to, to stay on top of the MAC. Uh, St. Lawrence at Merchant Marine, a surprisingly good Merchant Marine, by the way, yeah. in, uh, in the Liberty League. Wesley at Rowan, Kane at Salisbury will try to get some clarity in the uh, in the end, Jack, but it's that's going to be a long slog. That's uh, Frostburg State is in the mix, and they haven't played any of the good teams yet. Clarity's part of the 2013 Around the Nation podcast drinking game. Yeah, I noticed. Uh, I think some people, someone else started writing clarity, and uh, and I noticed it, and I laughed at it, even though it probably wasn't even part of the joke. Um, also uh, in the Liberty League, Springfield at Hobart, uh, Catholic at Randolph-Macon. I believe uh, I believe that's an important game uh, between you and I. I don't know if anyone else considers it important, but we tend to call it the Guru Bowl around here. And uh, Illinois Wesleyan at Carthage in the CCIW. Uh, also another interesting one. You willing to give me any points on that game? We we can't do that. Um, <laughs> but we get well, so we're, heard. All right, we're at home, but we're coming off a loss. So is, so is Catholic. Um, Catholic was very nearly one of those uh, great comeback teams, but of course they did not finish. They lost uh, 33-28, I believe, to Hampton Sydney. It's not like I have the box score in front of me. They were down 27-7. They were down 27 nothing at the half. Rallied to make it 33-28 with 12:01 to go, and uh, yeah, that was that was what happened. Well, Hampton Sydney's turning into a great comeback team uh, over the course of a season. They lost their first four, but now two straight wins, and uh, setting up to be a problem uh, the rest of the way in the ODAC. Well, uh, you'll find out in uh, week 11 exactly how much of a problem. That is, and uh, this was Around the Nation podcast number 158 for the week of October 17th, 2016. Thanks for listening, and uh, tune in for the rest of our coverage throughout the week. And if you like our podcast, please consider rating it, leaving it, a, leaving a review in the uh, iTunes store or wherever you find your podcast, because that will help other football fans find it. And thanks for following Division Three Football on d3football.com. Uh, the executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Thanks to our guest. UW lacrosse coach Mike Schmidt and co-coach Tyler Staker and the sports information directors Dave Johnson and Ryan Workman for their time and help on this edition of our show. And of course, thank you to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host Keith McMillan. He and I do this every week from now through December 19th and then monthly in the offseason. So uh, tune us in, uh, subscribe to the feed, do all the things you need to do to hear 
all I think it's going to be about 24 additions, I guess, uh, this season. A, uh, a, a new high. Uh, and so always remember, of course, to use the D3FB hashtag on your tweets and your Instagram posts. Because, you know, those are the ones we retweet. We'll retweet other ones if they're really good, too. But I, my home screen is basically that D3FB hashtag stream. Yeah, it's basically like putting on D3 channel on Saturdays. That's all I use. We should have a D3 TV channel, Keith. Well, all we need is a TV station and we're good. We can we can program it. That's like around the nation uh, 2005 or something like that. Yeah, it's a long time ago. <laughs> Ship may have sailed. 